The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of sitting in your presence and even of now knocking on your door, finding it open to us and being able to come in and speak to you. That you listen to us is a wonderful truth. That you invite us to talk to you, to make requests before you, a wonderful truth. And that you promise to hear and to answer an even more wonderful truth. We're your people, we are your children, and you invite us in, and you promise then to walk out with us into the world, calling us to follow. You don't even stand behind and send us out in front, you call us to follow, you lead. Thank you. Would you lead this time now as we open up your scriptures, we look at them and try to understand more of of you and more of us, try to become uh, more clear in our our minds and more faithful in our walking. Those, Those are our goals this morning, Lord, and would you lead us in that? To give clarity and focus to our time, would you give strength here? to clear away distraction and clear away sin and make the scriptures clear to us. Draw us after Christ to make us like him and build your church. Thank you for hearing and thank you for answering and thank you for being a loving, leading Lord and a gracious friend to us. I say thank you. We look to you now in faith and pray you teach. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to the middle of Luke chapter 5, where we will see Jesus call another person to come follow him as a disciple. That, you'll recall, that's where the chapter began. Luke 5 began with Jesus addressing Peter and company, teaching by the Sea of Galilee. When he finished teaching, he got in the boat with Peter and his friends so as to catch them to draw them on after him, to make them, as we saw eventually, catchers along with him. Not just fishers, but catchers. Called them to join him in his mission. And while they were first alarmed by what they saw with the the miracle and the fish there, eventually he calmed their fears and they left everything and followed Jesus. That was verse 11, the beginning of the chapter. Then last week, in verses 12 to 26, we looked at two events that clarified a little more for us about what's involved in this catching of men, what it is that we are to be about. Jesus performed two miraculous healings, but the focus in both of them was not on the physical, but on the spiritual, on, on the spiritual realm, healing, cleansing, restoring people, spiritually speaking. There's a leper there. 
who obviously has a physical problem, but his main problem from his leprosy was that he was spiritually unclean, ostracized, kept out, alienated from God and from other people. And so he asks Jesus, please make me clean, cleanse me. And Jesus did so by, of course, healing of the leprosy, but the focus is on the spiritual, as it was in the next incident where he healed the paralytic. First, he forgives his sins and then performs the miracle of the healing so as to prove, as he says, so that you may know that I have authority to forgive sin. Watch this. The point of it is about the spiritual. I forgive, I cleanse, I restore. You're supposed to see that about Jesus and be drawn to him properly, like these men were in humble faith. Coming to him in humble faith, these men find forgiveness and restoration spiritually. Humble faith. Which brings us to today's passage and prepares us to hear another calling of a disciple in a slightly different or an additional aspect. Humble faith. And we'll hear about repentance a little bit this morning also. Our passage this morning shows us another aspect of the ministry of Jesus as he fishes for men, draws people to him, and then equips us to be disciples following him. So we're still thinking about what is it to be a follower of his, and we're going to see it through the lens of what Jesus does with this man named Levi. So let me read the passage, verses 27 to 32. And after I've done that, I'll, I'll pass back through to make a couple of the details clear and then make a, two overarching observations that are not of equal length. So the first one's longer than the second one, but I'm going to make two observations. Let me read Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 5. Luke doesn't give us a, a tight timeline here, so we don't know when exactly this happened. It's just later. Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi, likely, not certainly, but likely the same man known as Matthew. He's an ordinary tax collector, which is to say, if you remember from chapter 3, or if you catch the tone here in this passage, chapter 3, when John the Baptist dealt with the tax collectors, we talked about them a little bit. Tax collectors made their living working for the enemy, Rome, in legalized robbery and extortion. That's how the populace saw them. He is an official criminal and a traitor at that. Jewish people did not like the tax collectors. And here's one named Levi sitting at work, and Jesus saw him. And the language there makes us think of a little bit more than just Jesus stumbled upon him and noticed his presence. He saw him. Perhaps we could translate it. He considered him. 
He noticed him. He regarded him. He looked at him and then commanded this tax collector, follow me. Which doesn't necessarily mean those are the only words spoken, but those are the important, those are the decisive words that, that we need to see, we need to catch. He told him, follow me. And Levi, leaving everything, just like Peter and company back in verse 11, leaving everything, got up and followed him into this indefinite follower. He becomes one who walks with Jesus. And sometime after that, certainly it would take a little bit of time to prepare a feast and invite guests, sometime after that, he throws a large feast, a celebration in honor of Jesus, and he invites a company of guests, many of whom, perhaps all of whom, were tax collectors and, to use the Pharisee's word from down below, sinners of various sorts. A term which meant morally loose, probably physically loose. They're immoral people and tax collectors. That's the kind of crowd Levi had his friends. Stands to reason. They would have been the people ostracized along with Levi, and so they kind of hung together. They are the outcasts, the ostracized of society, and it's important that we understand something about why they are outcasts, why they are set on the outskirts of society, not because of our earlier passage, the leper and the, and the paralytic, not because of physical infirmity, not because of poverty, not because of some of the reasons that we set people outside today. This group of people might have been incredibly wealthy. They're tax collectors. They might have been the beautiful people of society. They, they might have been the partying set, the the people who, that is engaged in, in rampant, immoral behavior with one another. They might have been a very attractive, very outgoing, very gregarious, very beautiful, very wealthy group of people. The reason they are outcasts is that religious people reject them for their overt embracing of a sinful lifestyle. That's the kind of people that we're dealing with. And so as we're thinking about this for ourselves today, we need to realize we're not talking today, we're not talking about outcasts who are maybe the, the lowly in society. We're talking about sinners. Maybe the high and mighty in society. Now, as an aside, that word sinners comes in the passage. That can kind of be an offensive word. And if, it, if you're gathering that, as we move on, we're gathering that applies to you, it can kind of be offensive to you. So let me say, Sinners, what Jesus means when he thinks of that word, what we Christians should mean when we think of that word, is not the bad people. We're all sinners. What he means, what we should be thinking in this passage, he turns it, using the Pharisee's language, but he turns it and says, I'm talking about people who are not believers, who are not Christians. Not that they're good and bad. He's talking about, we are thinking about today, people who are not Christians, who are outside because they reject Christ. Say no to it. Levi made a great feast and invited all of these friends of his and Jesus, verse 29, reclined at table with them. He shared table fellowship with them and led his disciples to do likewise. 
The tax collectors and sinners, it says, were reclining at table with them. That's Jesus and his company, his disciples. That's what sets the Pharisees to grumbling. And they, they try to undermine Jesus by talking to his followers, his disciples, and they ask him one of those questions that, again, is not really a question seeking an answer. It's a question giving an answer. Why are you eating with these people? You shouldn't be. And Jesus answers, essentially bypassing their grumbling attitude. He's going to confront that later. He bypasses their attitude and treats it as if it's a real question. And that helps us, actually, because it shows us that our attention here is not supposed to be on the Pharisees and their attitude. Our attention here is on why is Jesus eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? Why is he? That's, what, that's a question, as if it's a real question, that's the question he answers. And he uses first proverbial wisdom, resembled other statements of that day, well, people don't need doctors. Sick people need doctors. Proverb, obviously, right? The sick people need doctors. And I have not come to call righteous people but sinners to repentance. I'm a doctor, spiritually speaking. I'm a physician. And I look out at people who have need and people who don't have need, and, and I'm going to go help the people. Uh, the reason I'm with the sinners is that those people I can help. I've come to help them, to draw them to repentance, the thing they need for healing. He answers the question by talking about who he is and what he's about. Talking about his mission, his purpose. To call people to repentance. That's the passage. We pull that all together. I'm going to put it in one sentence here and then make two observations. Here's, here's my main point for this morning, drawn out from this short story. Jesus and his followers pursue relationships of grace with non-Christians so as to call them to repentance in life. I know it's long. I'll say it again. Jesus and his followers pursue relationships of grace with non-Christians so as to call them to repentance and life. Before I move on and make two observations, let me, let me just kind of try to grab this moment with us here. I'm standing here, and even, even right now in this moment, I feel like this is a little sterile right now. And just pray with me that it wouldn't be, that it wouldn't be sterile and cold and informative and dry, but that somehow in, in the, the revealing of what's here, in, in the, the diving into the text and the understanding of the text, that something alive would happen here in our midst and in your heart personally. Pray, pray with me that that would happen, that God would actually speak and that it wouldn't be flat and cold here because something important here, we've touched on it in songs as, we, as we've heard even heard Heidi talk about what she's going to be doing with the missions. There's something important here about God and his heart for people that in some way we know but has to come 
into us and, and grab us and move us to something different here. I'm going to say stuff that, frankly, we know. Kind of like every week. But may God make it live and run now and show us something that you know but don't know yet. Disciples, this is talking about what we, if you're a Christian, what we are to be, what he has called us to be. It's what we're seeing here in this passage. Disciples are eager to build relationships that help outsiders see the grace of Christ. That's my first observation. The main one, bigger one. Disciples are eager to build relationships that help outsiders see, experience, that help non-Christians come in contact with and, and, and meet in, in a, a way they can get, that understand the grace of Christ. He's showing us what it means to be a disciple here. Jesus looks at Levi, considers him, calls him, and he leaves everything and follows him. Just like Peter did and Peter and company back in verse 11, they leave everything and they follow Jesus. This is the repeated and really the defining characteristic of a disciple. A person who leaves everything to follow Jesus. That's taught explicitly in the scriptures. We'll come to it again in Luke 9. It's modeled here. But we need to think about this a little bit to make sure that we understand. Leave everything to follow Jesus and understand what particularly he's getting at in this passage about leaving and following. When the text says they leave everything, we need to understand there's something metaphorical being said there, not just something literal. After all, Peter and company, they left everything and walked away following Jesus, but they didn't just leave the nets and the boat on the side of the lake for whoever wanted to claim it. We know that because later, later in the Gospels, they go fishing again. They still have their gear. And Levi, though he leaves everything, probably walked away from the tax collecting booth, he didn't leave everything. He still has a house. He still has resources. He still has friendships. He didn't say, gone, on all of that stuff. Not just a physical, literal leaving. What we are to understand, we hear, they left everything, is a statement about total commitment of life. Total commitment of life. Leaving of the old life in exchange for a new one. To walk a new path, one of now following Jesus, so that all of my life now, as a disciple, I have left, and now all of my life is a pursuit of Christ. It is for Christ. It is after Christ. Christ is life for me now. This old life has has been left and set aside, and now Christ and his cause, not my own cause, Christ and his cause is what I'm walking after and hot in pursuit of. I am eager for that as a disciple. That's what discipleship is. So whatever life has, whatever life brings, whatever resources I accumulate, whatever friendships or opportunities or situations, 
I don't have to think I'm supposed to get rid of all that stuff, jettison it, leave it. Instead, with all of that, I say, with all that in hand, I say goodbye to my old lifestyle with that, my old way of pursuing my life with this stuff. And I said, instead say, with these things, Lord, I'm going to follow you. With everything that I have, in every way I am totally committed such that Christ in this, Christ's cause in this, in all of my resources and relationships, I am devoted as following Jesus. That's what it means to leave everything. I leave the old way of being with everything. How so in particular in this passage? Because there's a lot that one could say about that. How so in particular in this passage? Well, we look at what Levi did, and we know that Levi did something that we're supposed to follow because Jesus did it too, and Jesus took all of his disciples and did it with them. They all were there. This is for all of us. Levi shows us an eagerness to live, connecting with others in grace and in love in a way that he has designed that will help them meet the grace and the love of Christ. He hosts a feast so that, quite literally, his friends can meet Jesus. Physically, literally, Jesus is going to be there. All of his sinful friends that he didn't preach at condemningly and drive away. That he didn't become judgmental with. That he and Jesus both accepted as is to table fellowship. Table fellowship, even now today, but particularly back in that day, to sit and to eat with one another, to recline at table with one another, is to say, we are with, we are okay with, we are communing with, we are, we are in union, there is no odds, no, no ought between us, we are at peace. He does that with the sinners and tax collectors as they are. He draws them into his house so that they will meet Jesus. Levi is fishing, hoping to catch men. To catch them by graciously, lovingly relating to non-Christians, to outsiders, just as they are. This is the whole deal. It's the whole deal. Levi, Jesus, disciples, Say to outsiders, come to the table, come be with us as is. Indeed, he's going to call them to repentance. Indeed and indeed, he's going to call them to change. He has to. That's second. We'll come to that. That's second, not first. It's not a condition for come to the table. The Pharisees would have been fine if that was a condition. 
That's how the Pharisees wanted Jesus and company to proceed. He wanted them to say, clean up your act first, and then come into a grace-relating connection. Clean up your act first, then come. And it's the other way around for Jesus. Loving communion comes first, and repentance comes second. It definitely comes. It's, it's the final word of the passage, the punchline, if you will. Jesus thinks and acts and teaches his disciples, us, to think and to act in love and in grace towards outsiders as we sit in fellowship with them, believing that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Second, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. The law of God does not lead anybody to repentance. It is critical to preach it. It makes us aware of the need for repentance. It convicts us and calls us and commands us. But the kindness of God leads us there. Jesus expects us as disciples to relate to outsiders those who are not Christians, to relate to people in their sin, in grace and in love, not so that they will be impressed with us and our gracious, loving demeanors, but so that as the Spirit of God lives in us, they will see Christ. They will meet Him and His grace and love coming out of us. That must happen. So, Christian. Have you left behind your old life in this way? In this particular way? The old life that is uncomfortable with, or angered by, resentful of, wrongdoers, sinners, rebels, outsiders, whatever word comes to mind there. We are bothered. We are bothered by that, by them. And if, if you're here, if you're, if you're not a Christian here today, yes, I am talking about you, but hopefully not in a way that's insulting. I'm trying to talk to Christians about how we think sometimes. We are bothered by non-Christians, by those who openly and willingly embrace and walk in a way that is not in accord with God. Sometimes we're irritated by that or angered. Sometimes we're afraid. Fear it. And so we, we resist and we treat with resentment and sometimes with anger. That is part of that old life that needs to be left behind when we turn to follow Jesus. Have you left that? And instead, in its place... You're pursuing relationships, eager to use your life now for a gracious and loving approach to those who don't know Jesus. That's the question raised for us this morning by this passage, and it's a very personal question. It's not a church-wide question. It's not about church programs. 
It's about you and your own heart attitude and how you use the stuff that is in your life, your own resources, your relationships. Are you eager? Eager to pursue those who don't know Christ with love and with grace that they might prayerfully, they might see in you this loving and gracious Christ. There is a lot to discipleship, certainly. There are many things to consider, but this is one of the pieces of discipleship. And it's one that we must include and, and eagerly pursue as we think about what it means to follow Christ. It looks like friendly connection that builds relationships intentionally and deliberately, not passively or by happenstance. What I mean is, you may, you may sit in the cafeteria at work or at school, and you may sit with friends that you connect with well, who, who know Christ, who are good friends of yours, maybe at this school or somewhere else. That's fine and that's good, but there might also be someone else that you don't know that is on the outside that perhaps is a little difficult because of some of the things you know about their behaviors, their beliefs. Are you eager, are you even mindful of the need to approach such a one in grace and in love? Are you aware of it? And then do you approach Deliberate and intentional, not just by happenstance. Relationship that's not harsh and judgmental. That has no scent of, as I say this, I'm not talking to anybody in particular, but has no sense of combative cultural warrior mode. I'm not talking about anybody in particular, we in general, and some of us in particular, struggle with what I've called here combative cultural warrior mode. Instead, in grace and in wise humility, in truth, Honest about what you think when questions or issues come up, and they will, of course. We need to be ready to give an answer for what we believe and why with gentleness and respect. Is that not how 1 Peter 3 continues? Be ready to give an answer with gentleness and respect. To speak honestly, clothed in humility, with sensitivity. Such relationships, if we are pursuing them, are full of generosity and characterized by a listening ear. They give time to others. They are vulnerable where appropriate. We have a lot of common ground with people who are on the outside. Yeah, we are separated by Christ, but we are people together. We face common problems, and I don't know all the answers. Being a Christian doesn't mean I know everything. Sometimes we feel like we have to pretend we know everything and we've got it all together and we get it just right so that we can give a good testimony for Christ. No, in fact, graciously and lovingly approach people and connect with them in humility. And do so with, without some sort of secret goal of trying to manipulate conversations or coerce situations and, and to get people to say things or do things. None of us 
none of us are identical people. And none of us are going to do the same things in the same ways. We have different personalities and different life situations, and the people we would connect with and relate to are different because that's how God made us. The point remains, Levi shows us an eagerness to use what he has, the home he has, the resources he has, and the friends he has. He is eager to use them in a way that will bring them into contact with and prayerfully, hopefully, show them the grace and the love of Jesus. Believing that it is his kindness that leads them to repentance. This is what we have to be about. This is of, of great importance. This is what he calls us to his disciples. This is what his challenge, his word, his requirement to us is. This is a tall order and is overwhelming and the kingdom depends on us. So you better get busy doing it. Is that what you heard me say? Over the last 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Is what you heard me say. This is his requirement of us. This is what we have to do. This is a tall order. It's difficult, but it's what we have to be about, so we better get to it. Everything depends on it. Is that what you heard me say? Then listen again. I need to say it again. Because it is truly a piece of what it means to be a disciple. It is what God calls us to, to leave aside our old life, to turn from that, to repent of that, and to turn from that to him. That is indeed what he calls us to. But his kindness leads us to repentance the same. We also are led to repentance by kindness, by grace from God. And if what you heard in that, and if, if how I presented that struck you as, here's what we have to do, and here's another thing on your, on your pile, on your list, pursue it, begin to think. I mean, now you got a list. Every time I go to lunch, i got to watch for people that I'm not sitting with. If that's what came to you, then stop and listen again. You follow one who himself left everything, rose up and followed the call of his father to deny himself, take up his cross, and come in great grace and unfathomable love, reach out to you and draw you to himself and place you in, in a sea ocean, in fact, of grace and mercy and kindness upon kindness and grace and mercy upon mercy and kindness and grace pouring over you all because he first considered you. If you hear his call, go to people and love them and be gracious to them, if you hear that as a requirement laid on you, you need to stop and consider again Christ as he considers you. Christian, Christian, 
We have a call to face here indeed, but we will only face that call and walk into it if we first have eyes fixed on Christ and see Christ's eyes fixed on us in a way that calls us out and changes us. What I'm saying here, I'm just I'm working on this passage and it's it's angle into the gospel. What I'm saying here is that grace, grace, grace is what changes us, not a list and a call to a requirement. You've got to write the, the requirement. You've got to write it right there. That's what I'm called to do. How do I find the strength to do that? I look at Jesus. I look at Jesus. I look at him looking at me. I look at him laying aside his life to come get me. And what happens in there What happens in there? A supernatural spiritual change comes into your heart and you are wooed. You are won. You are moved to repentance by kindness. So Christian, we we have a, a world out there into which we are to walk with Jesus Living graciously, living lovingly. We will only do that as we set our eyes on Christ and not on the world. We set our eyes on Christ and from him experience his grace and his love that changes us, makes us new, convinces us our lives are secure in Christ so we can give them away. If you find yourself holding back or you find yourself with grudging or even angry approach to the non-Christian around you, tell yourself not, don't do that. Tell yourself instead, remember Christ who first loved me. Disciples are eager to build relationships that help outsiders see what they have seen. The grace of Jesus. That's not all. That's not the end goal. Because if we're going to love people like Jesus and love people towards Jesus, we also have to consider the second point, which is shorter. It's going to be much shorter. So here's the second observation. Through his disciples, Jesus comes to people to call them to repentance in life. Through his disciples, Jesus comes to people to call them to repentance and life. So let me abbreviate a couple of elements of this here. It's through his disciples, it's through us, but it's Jesus who's doing the calling. If we look at the story, we see Levi does something, but Jesus is the story. He's trying to bring people to Jesus. Jesus is the one who's going to connect to people. It's not Levi's word, and that should be of great relief to us. The burden is not on us to make repentance happen. 
Jesus calls people to repentance. Jesus calls people, and when he calls people, like he calls Levi, like he calls Peter, it works. We trust him. But secondly, in talking about repentance, if you're not a Christian, you might be listening to this and you might be thinking, okay, now I see what happens. They buttered me up so they can hammer me with repentance. No. This whole passage presents repentance and sinners, those are hard words, but they are presented to us in a context that is saying good, help, kindness. Just like doctors and sick people. So yes, in fact, there there needs to be a call to... To you, if you're not a Christian, there's a call to you about repentance, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But it should come to your ears, and may, I hope it does, come to your ears like a doctor who's talking to someone who is sick is doing it for their good. He's saying, this might be hard news here, but, but here's the course. And if you follow this course, positive change, healing can happen. If you don't, it won't. It's presented with language that is difficult, but as a gracious continuation of the love of God reaching out to people. I have come to help sinners. Not to condemn them, to help them. By calling them to what they need. By calling them to repentance. What is repentance? It's an important word here. Luke's going to talk about it more in the rest of his book, but it's a word we're supposed to look at here because if you compare it to the other instances in the Gospels where this story is told, the word repentance is not there. Luke particularly records it for us. That's implied in the places. There's not disagreement between the stories. But Luke writes repentance because he wants us to think about repentance. Grace, love, and repentance. Very simple definition of repentance. A change of mind that is not just a claim of a changed mind. second half is very important. A change of mind that is not just a claim of a change of mind. Repentance is a change of mind that naturally and automatically produces a matching change in the actions of one's life. Naturally and automatically. Claim of repentance will produce fruit if it's genuine repentance. He doesn't call us to a claim. He calls us to genuinely change within. We cannot overlook this, this part of how he loves us. He has come to call us in a way that tells us what's going on in here at the start is wrong and broken and must change. Not just my behaviors, what's going on in here, that leads my behaviors, what's going on in here is broken and wrong and must change. Where I am at the start, and as we are being refined, we are, we are, not, we are not completely out of this yet. We, we still 
day by day by day are still called to repentance. We decisively repent and become Christians, and then day by day by day, he still calls us to repentance. Where we are at the start is locked into, imprisoned in an improper and incorrect view of who Jesus is and who we are. He comes and he calls and says, that must change, you must turn. As we stand there and say, but I'm lo-. you said I was locked in. What, what, how does that happen? I heard a story. I need to tell you this story because even I know it's late here, but fix this in your mind. I heard a story which I don't know to be true, but it's illustrative. An old preacher who was a very heavy set, had many steps up to his pulpit. He preached at a pulpit that was set up. And mindful of the fact that he's going to go in front of a congregation and call them, whether they're not Christians yet or whether they are Christians, and every week call them to turn away from their old life, to repent, to turn away from their old life and turn to follow Christ, maybe for the first time or maybe with greater resolve. I'm going to call them to repentance on the inside, and I cannot make that happen. Mindful of that, a heavyset man, he labored on every step and in his mind said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Next step. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Next step. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Next step. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then he comes to the pulpit and begins to preach what is impossible apart from God. Christ has come graciously and mercifully to call people to repentance, to call them to a change in here that we don't have the power to make happen. Not for other people, not even for ourselves. What we do for other people and for ourselves is we hold up the resources, we hold up the scripture, and we ask, Spirit of God, would you make this truth, would you make the glory of this Jesus shine in front of my eyes so that it is more attractive to me than the shining trinkets of the world that I'm grabbing onto right now. Show me something beautiful. Show me something good. Cause change in my values and in my perspective in here. And when that change happens, I will move. But that is the Spirit of God's work. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I call other people and even call myself. We call our friends. We call our children. We call our parents sometimes even. We call our coworkers. We call our classmates to repentance, knowing and believing that that is what is necessary for them to experience the great good of the healing and the cleansing, the forgiving of Jesus. What a glorious thing it is that he has come to call us to repentance and blessed Jesus that he actually grants repentance leading us to a knowledge of the truth. That is in the Bible twice. Charlie referred to one of them this morning already. It's in Peter's preaching in Acts. 
It's the book of 2 Timothy. God grants repentance. We read, we see, we cry out and we say, help, help, help. Turn my heart, Lord. God calls us to repentance and it is God who calls us to repentance. That is good news. That is good news because I can't make myself feel. You can't make yourself feel. May God, by His Spirit, change you so that you see and feel and love and turn and find life. So let me pray and ask Him to do that. Father, in a lot of ways I feel like feel like in this moment it is easy for us to be confused. Would you please speak words of clarity to particular people? Would you speak words of hope to particular hopeless people? And would you open the eyes of all of us that we would see the grace and the love of Christ and that this would draw us to repentance, would draw us to change. We need you for this. Please come. Grow up your people. Draw those who aren't your people to yourself. Build your church, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.